0: I have determined to be a lover of truth. And here's what I've found out. If I have an opinion about anything that is contrary to God's holy word, then guess who has to change? Not God. Amen? Our opinions have to change according to God's word. See, we don't believe in relative truth. We believe in absolute truth. And God's Word is absolutely true. It's culturally relevant. It does not change. Um, uh, The Bible says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from from the Father above of who there's no variableness, neither is there any shadow of turning. One, one translation says that there's no shifting shadows in God. You know, shadows shift as the sun changes. But God remains steadfast. His word, Scripture says, is forever settled in heaven. So the covenant that went forth off of his lips, he cannot alter it. God's not a man that he should lie. And so tonight, I've made it up in my heart to be a champion of truth. Now... The Bible says that Jesus was both grace and truth. And so how many of you know the truth, even though sometimes it's hard truth, the Scripture says that we're to speak the truth in what? Love, right? God is love. I told these um, inmates, see, the problem about going to prison and getting saved is you don't have anything else to do. And a lot of them become resident theologians. And they want to tell you, everybody else, why they're wrong about the Bible. And here's what I told them. Number one, we're not called to win arguments, we're called to win souls. That's what the scripture says, he that wins souls is wise. And beside that, there's a quote from John Maxwell, here's what he said. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In other words, um, you can speak the truth, but it must be in love. Uh, We should never correct from the scripture or anything of that nature with a spirit of, of hardness or harshness. But yet, we let our words be salt and seasoned with grace, and we speak the word of God. So, tonight, we're going to continue in our Hot Topic series. And as I have disclaimed every other episode, if you will, up until this point, which, by the way, if you haven't got caught up on those, you can on our app or a podcast or on YouTube. But um, as I've given a disclaimer throughout these last couple of weeks, here's what I've said I have asked you not. To allow your heart to get offended by anything that I say. Because everything I say, I want you to test it with the scripture. I want you to evaluate it. And I want you to take it for what God says. Because at the end of the day, the post office mailman, the UPS worker, is not responsible for the IRS notice that goes into your box. Come on, you can get mad that he put it in there, but listen, he wasn't the author of it. All he was, was delivering the mail. So tonight, I want you to wrestle with God's Word with me, because tonight is not not popular, it is very controversial, it shouldn't be, it is even among a lot of the church. And I'm going to show you that tonight We're going to wrestle with this. But tonight we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 and then Matthew 19. I'm going to read my text and then I'm going to announce my title to you tonight. Go to Genesis chapter 1 with me. And let's look at verse 26. I'll give you a moment to turn over there. Genesis chapter 1 verse number 26 reads like this. It says, And then God said, Let us make man... In our image and according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Then I want to turn to a New Testament passage, Matthew chapter 19. We'll look at verse number 1. We'll read through verse 6. It says, Now it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee, and he came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. Then the Pharisees came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? Everybody say, at the beginning. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you speak to our heart tonight. Give us ears to hear, heart to understand. And Lord, help us to take what we learn tonight to be able to apply it not only to our lives, to our families, but, Lord, perhaps somebody that we know that may need this element of truth. Father, we, we thank you for it. We thank you the Holy Spirit is our teacher. and He's going to illuminate to us everything that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody, and want to say thanks for joining us. And tonight we're going to look at a cultural topic that unfortunately has even affected the church. And so tonight I've entitled this message, From the Beginning. From the beginning, a biblical look at human sexuality. A biblical look at human sexuality. Now, if you're looking at the graphic that I made today, what you see on the left hand side is an emoji of a pregnant woman with a green check mark. Uh, On the right-hand side, you see an emoji of a pregnant man with an X, which, by the way, if you're an iPhone user, you have this emoji on your phone. It's a pregnant man. In the middle, you have a man and a woman. And we're going to be looking at the concept of biblical sexuality from the Scripture. Now, here's what I know, that there are two subjects in church that make people cringe upon their seats. These are the subjects of sex and money. And culture tells us those are two things everybody wishes they had more of. Come on, somebody. I'm just going to say it. We're adults in here tonight. If you brought your kids, that's on you. But uh, tonight, that's the truth. But the issue is God's Word has a lot to say about both of these issues. And the the issue is is that when we begin to look at this, we see that there are many, many different aspects of sexuality that the Scripture begins to deal with. And so tonight, I think it gives us a great big disservice if we don't look to the original manual, God's Word, that gives us the safety and the parameters of what's going on in our culture. You, You might be here tonight, you say, Pastor, why in the world? Are we dealing with this tonight? The the overwhelming majority of of people in our midweek service, because we do have kids and adults and volunteers, and the overwhelming majority of people, though we do have some younger couples here tonight, is is older. Well, let me tell you, your grandkids and your great-grandkids are dealing with this on a paramount level. I have given my notes to Pastor Seth. I've never told him what to preach or anything, but I, I have strongly encouraged him to take the things that I'm talking about on Wednesday night at some point as he feels led, and we need to be giving these same things to our young people because they're being fought on every single avenue as it relates to morality and and holiness. And so uh, I want to take a biblical look tonight at these things. Now, we may think that these are issues that really shouldn't be talked about In the church. But I need you to know tonight that the issues by which I will cover tonight have really infected the church realm. Before I go any further tonight, as I've already given you a disclaimer, I want to give you another one. It's a statement of truth. Here's what I want to tell you We, as a church, by no means do we dehumanize, or devalue, or hate anybody who struggles in any area of sexual sin okay we don't hate them however we cannot solidify or approve of such practices that are forbidden strictly by god's word and so tonight in a spirit of love i want to tell you why this is so important for us to deal with. Now, I may just let my hair back. If That's a pun. You can laugh. I may let my hair back tonight and just preach a little bit, but it's important for us to realize that this issue is important. I want, I want to deal with the, an area of sexual deviancy because as you see, this pregnant man right here, one of the most trending documentaries right now in America. And I don't, I don't recommend necessarily watch it because it does have a, a quite a bit of language. It's from a, a, a secular news perspective. But one of the largest trending documentaries right now is by the name of What is a Woman? By a man by the name of Matt Walsh. And people literally today, biologists, chemists uh, of various persuasions, when the hot seat they are sad in it and they're asked the tough question what is a woman I have watched them squirm much like about 10 years ago we watched mega national ministers squirm over the question is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven and let me tell you my friend if we have gotten so far as a nation that we can't answer the simple question of what is a woman We are in trouble. And so tonight, I want to just turn to a scripture because this is important. Look at Romans chapter 1 with me tonight. And I want to to jump into something, and I really want you to buckle your seatbelt tonight. What I am about to say within the next three to four minutes, I'm just telling you in advance. It has the severe possibility of offending you. It has the severe possibility of you turning me off, but I'm asking you to give me a chance because I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to look at Romans, the the first chapter. These verses are not in the notes tonight, although my notes are on the app if you want to look at them. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1, and I want us to look at verse number uh, 26, okay? Here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men left the natural use of the woman. Burned in their lust one for another. Men with men committing that which is what? Shameful. And receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due, and even as God did not, even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, um, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. Uh, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters. Inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Watch this. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now notice this. Not only those who, the inference here, not only those who do them and do the same but also those who approve of them who practice them. Did you hear the last clause? Now, when Paul's writing this in Romans chapter 1, he's not referring to the death penalty as was instituted in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were some pretty severe judgments. and uh, For instance, the uh, Levitical law says, and, and Deuteronomy as well said, Suffer not a witch to live. So if you found somebody in sorcery, the law said you could stone them. Adultery, you could stone them. Homosexuality, stone them. There was a death penalty. Disobedient to your parents in the Old Testament, if it was severe enough, the parents could kill you. It was a different day in those days. But I want you to understand that this is a New Testament passage. And a lot of people would try to say that the New Testament doesn't deal with such things. I could show you passage after passage tonight where Paul and Jesus and others dealt with all types of sexual immorality. But in Romans chapter 1 specifically, he deals with the issue of not only a a vile uncleanness of homosexual relationships, but he throws in there those who practice them and approve of them are, are both guilty. And he said they're deserving of death. And I wanted to clarify that because people would use that against us, but it's good biblical interpretation. The truth is is that he's talking about spiritual death, separation from God. Because notice the indication in this passage is those who practice such things. Now, Christians can sin and do sin. But there's a difference between an incidence of sin and living in a lifestyle habitually of sin. There are people who have endorsed and adopted lifestyles of sin, and they have placed God's rubber stamp of approval right upon it. Now, are you ready tonight? I want you to repeat after me because I want to hear you say it. Say, Pastor, I won't get offended at you. I will give you references. I will give you quotes. You go look it up for yourself. People say, why should we worry about this? I'm going to tell you why. Because sexual immorality has crept into the ranks of our churches. Let me me just tell you something. You may have come out of this background. You may have friends in the background. But let me just tell you, the United Methodist Church right now are going through a lot of trouble. John and Charles Wesley founded the Methodist movement. And they were holy men, praying men. Righteous men, spirit-filled men. They would turn over in their graves if they could understand what was happening right now. You see, you've got to understand that the Methodist movement is in a split right now. That just in 2019, right before the pandemic, at their national conference, they voted 57 to 43% of their ministers. 50% in favor 43 against of adopting the policy to ordain homosexual ministers among their ministry now because of the pandemic everything came to a halt because they were going to try to deal with some of this stuff and figure out how do we do this but just this year at the just several months ago the national break has happened a whole different movement has begin to splinter, and people are having to make a choice. Are they going to stay with Methodists just because grandma was always Methodist, Or are they going to stay with a movement that endorses an illicit lifestyle contrary to God's Word from the top down? Now, do you think that's bad? Let me tell you what's bad. Just about eight weeks ago, In Bloomington, Illinois, in a United Methodist Church, on a Sunday morning, one of their certified ministers, who was an ordained candidate, who by his own profession of his mouth said, that I do not believe the Scripture is the inspired Word of God, that it is fallible and full of error, was allowed to preach a Sunday morning message to children in full drag. And his drag name was Miss Penny Cost. Now, I know that's shocking to some people. But how can people who profess to be lovers of truth and lovers of God stay in an organization? That solidifies and rubber stamps such things. Now I need to make a I need to make because I feel I just felt the Heine Tight anointing come into the room and everybody clenched up. And yes, we've got Methodist churches in town. And I wanna know of those pastors. What are you gonna do? What are you going to do? I have two friends I talked to this week. Both of them were mentors of mine. One of them is uh, Andy Hughes, 65 years old. The other one is Gladney Hunt. He's one of my mentors I had growing up, 72, pastoring in the United Methodist Church. And they had to make a decision to remove their church from the fellowship. Because at some point, if you stay hooked up with something, you say, well, I'm not doing it. But if you stay hooked up with those who are doing it and approve of it, Romans 1 says you're guilty. That's why you got to be careful how you vote. That's why you got to be careful why you do this, that, and the other, because what you stamp, come on somebody, the platform, the, the organization, it matters. you got to hear me. This is a biblical issue. Which, by the way, why are so many political figures pushing these issues? Now, let's get back to it, because here's important. You need to hear my heart. We are not against homosexual people. I've had family members come out of the lifestyle. Blonnie and I had a classmate who was, uh, or a classmate of hers that we were, we knew in high school who was um, homosexual. He was a, a male prostitute in Dallas, and he recently got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's sharing his testimony. Came out of the lifestyle, and so um, I know Christians who uh, have come out of this and still struggle with this attraction, but yet they know it's wrong, so they've chosen to live a celibate life. So tonight, we're not saying these people aren't welcome. We're not saying any of those things. What I'm saying is is that in the ranks of the church, in many of our organizations, it has been rubber-stamped and solidified. And you and I have to be aware of it. Now... You might say tonight, well, that's isolated. Well, is it? I wrote a list tonight of churches whom on their own websites have statements of LGBTQT+, affirmation, ordaining of gay ministers, the Episcopal Church of America, the Evangelical Anglican, not the Roman Catholic, but many offshoots of Catholicism, the ANCC, the ECC, and others, The Evangelical Lutheran Church, the UMC, the Presbyterian, and the Christian Church. Now that doesn't mean every person in our town that's a part of that is for that. What I'm saying is, is that the organizations at the top level, they are for that. And friends, let me tell you, it's hard to fight the battle in the world when you're fighting the battle in the church. We need a revolution. You might say, "Well, where do we stand as the Assemblies of God?" Well, I'll tell you where we stand as of recent. In 2020, in the in the at the towards the end of the pandemic, there was an AG pastor in Texas, not not Massachusetts, not Maryland, not but in Texas, one of the most com, con, conservative states. I call it the nation of Texas. You know, I don't know if you ever drove across Texas, but if you start on one end, and the other, you're daylight to dark. I mean, it's all day. It's a big place. This AG pastor in Texas came out and said that starting this Sunday, our church will be affirming and we're welcoming, and we don't care if you're, if you're homosexual, if you're in a current relationship, you can serve in every area of ministry and you can do this and what that. And before he could get the words out of his mouth, they pulled his papers and sat him down and the church was taken away. Damage was already done. But as of right now, our movement is still in the fight against holding to traditional values of biblical sexuality. And let me you can get this preacher's name on record tonight. If we ever cross that bridge, I'm going to dance with the one who brought me. Amen? Because my my loyalty is not to a movement, my loyalty is to a Savior. Movements change, but Jesus never does. And you have to realize that when organizations are overwhelmingly by majority voting and saying we we affirm this lifestyle, you and I have to realize if it's in, if it's in the ranks of the church, church is then we've got to understand some theology behind biblical sexuality. So let's, let's go. I took up a lot of time with that tonight, but let's go back and let's look at this because it's important. I think it's very, very, very important. Go back to Genesis 1 with me. We'll go through these quickly. Genesis 1:26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing uh, that moves upon the earth. Tonight as it relates... To biblical sexuality, I want to look at the original map, which is the book of Genesis. Our background tonight comes from the creation story. God allowed Moses to see way back when God created the heavens and the earth and created man. So tonight, if you're taking notes or you're following along, number one, here we go. We've got to look at the prototype. The prototype. If you ever want to know A designer's intent for something. You go back and look at the prototype. The prototype is the first of its kind. The prototype, every other one after it, is made like that one. And so tonight we can go back and look at it. So here's what I want you to know. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after God created Everything, the sun, the moon, the stars, the firmament, all of that stuff, God created man in his image and in his likeness. He created male and female. Though both were created in God's image, both were unique. But here's what I want you to understand tonight concerning, from the beginning... God's original design, biblical human sexuality. Here's what you need to know. From the very beginning, God only made two sexes. Two. Two. Not, not, one, not three, not four. There's not all of these other things. Everything else is a perversion. God only made two sexes, male or male female. And I don't mean to be crude tonight, but if you don't know which one you are, get by yourself, go in the bathroom, and look in the mirror. Come on somebody. I'm going to leave it right there. Let me tell you something. God created male and female different externally. He gave them different plumbing. I'm not going to get into all of that. I'm sure you're all intelligent people. Men do not have what women have. Unless they've had surgery. And I'll get into that in a moment. But a woman doesn't have what men have. God made them different. He made them to complement each other. He made them to work together. And so externally, God made man and woman different. Internally, as far as their reproductive organs on the inside, their hormones, their women have uh, basically a womb and have ovaries, and and there's different things about us that are different characteristically. um, Even all the way down to the genetics of our DNA. I'm a sucker for good crime shows. One of those... You know, like forensic files and and bones and and stuff of that nature. And, you know, one thing, you know, I've seen these episodes where, you know, they're trying to solve a crime and all of a sudden they get a lead. A dog goes out in the woods an old hound dog starts barking and and they, they bring a team in and they find this body that somebody's hidden in the woods. And this body's been there for 20 years. They've just cracked a murder case. And that body's already decomposed. There's no flesh. There's no hair. There's no organs. You know, the body's done what it's done. But there's still something about the DNA and the chromosomes that men and women have that, listen, when the forensic science comes back, they can tell you uh, affirmatively, this was a male or it was a female. They can tell you approximately how old they were and all of these different types of things. Now, I found something interesting. I'm not trying to be funny tonight, but I'm being the truth. We live in 2020, and you got to speak plain. Any show I've ever watched, I've never watched them ask the coroner or the autopsy person for the report, and somebody say, our conclusion upon our findings today, are that these bones belong to a non-binary person. You know what non-binary is? It's, it's, it's the, the ideology today that I'm fluid. I'm, I'm not one or the other. I may be this today and I may be that tomorrow. That's not what science says. I've never heard somebody say, upon our findings, these bones belong to a transgender person. You know, it's funny that the liberal left, and I don't mean to be political tonight, but this statement just goes without, it it deserves stating. It's interesting that during the pandemic, all the liberal people were saying, trust the science, trust the science. But when it comes to gender, nobody wants to trust the science. It's interesting, isn't it? All of a sudden, science is irrelevant. But when you look at God's original design, He created man and woman totally different on purpose. The second thing we have to look at, if we want to understand human sexuality, number two, is we have to look at the purpose of sex. Man, that sounded real uncomfortable, didn't it? Now listen, don't be getting all uneasy on me in here because contrary to belief, you nor your children got here by being dropped off by a stork. Come on, somebody. The truth is, God created sex. In its intended design, you have to understand, it's not dirty, gross, nor nasty. It's like fire. Fire inside of a fireplace has a good purpose. It's to keep warm, it's to bring people together, but a fire that rages outside of the fireplace is extremely destructive. And that's the same for the sexuality of mankind that God created and put on the inside of us. That's what He has called us to do. Now the problem is, when, even when I was growing up, you didn't talk about this in church. Your grandparents didn't want to talk about it. Nobody wanted to talk about it. And so because nobody wanted to talk about it, you learned about it from the locker room. You learned about it on the playground. And worst of all, in the porn craze culture we live in, you learned about it from pornography. But the truth is, is that God's Word has so much to say about these issues. And that if you and I would take the time to learn God's plan, follow His prototype, and learn his parameters. We can redeem that which God has made holy. I love what Mark, Mark Driscoll said in a marriage conference we listened to. He said when he grew up, it was communicated, sex is gross, sex is, na- sex is nasty, you shouldn't do it, so save it for the one you love. How confusing is that? But God's Word has a lot to say about it. Go home and read the book of Song of Songs. It'll be good homework for you tonight. Here's God's purpose. The purpose of sexuality is intimate fulfillment. One, one purpose is intimate fulfillment between two committed people in a marital relationship. Two committed people in a marital relationship. Now, Sex is not to be used as a weapon, a bartering chip, nor should it be used as a, and as a weapon against your spouse or withheld against them without mutual consent. Because doing so, the scripture says, gives the devil an advantage. Look at First Corinthians chapter seven. I want to show you this. There's a reason because this is God's purpose. Notice what it says. It says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, his own body, but the wife does. Now look at verse number 5. It says, so do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you give yourself to fasting and prayer and then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now can I speak very plainly tonight? I debated on putting this scripture in there because it seems counterintuitive, but it doesn't because it shows us the purpose of marriage. one One of the things that distinguishes marriage between being BFFs and friends is the sexual commitment between two monogamous people who have entered into the covenant of holy matrimony. Now, Paul says here, that you shouldn't deprive one another. And when he says the man's body belongs, doesn't belong to himself and the wife, that doesn't mean for abuse or any of those things. That's not what Paul is trying to say. He's trying to say that the marriage relationship is a giving of ourselves which is consummated in the act of physical intimacy. Because listen, in God's eyes, sex is only illegal in those parameters. So... Solomon writes in all of his wisdom in, in, in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, do not awaken love before it's time. Because listen, once a person begins to act upon their sexual nature, especially outside of the parameters of marriage, and it, once you, it, it's, like, it's like an appetite for a good meal. Once you get the taste of, of that, so to speak, it's hard to put Pandora's box back in the box. Are you hearing me tonight? So he says, save it for the intimacy of marriage. And so when that is stripped away in a relationship, notice the Bible says Satan comes in and he causes temptation. So bring it back to one another. Here's what I wanted to tell you. God's idea of sexuality is only legal within the bonds of two married men and women together. One man, one woman. Anything else is not legal. May, this may shock you off your rocker tonight. We live in a culture today where there's something that is popular called open marriages. And that's where you can have a girlfriend and I can have a boyfriend and we'll just be married and whatever. Let me tell you, even if you agree on it, it's not right. Anything outside the bonds of what God has ordained in his word is is not okay. God's design for sexuality was for one man, one woman to create intimacy with each other. And the fruit of that is the second reason. Some say it would be the first, but it is also the second reason. Is God created sex for procreation. Now I told you, God created men one way, women the other way. Put my title slide back on. This is so dumb because men cannot get pregnant. The only way this can happen is if that's a wool man. Because it's a wool man because it has a womb. You can, listen, you can cut off what you want off and sew on what you want to sew on. At the end of the day, you're what God made you. Your DNA is what God made you. So so listen. Two men cannot make a baby. Two women cannot make a baby. So listen, why is homosexuality in particular such listen, heterosexual sex is also a sin. God don't want you having an affair. He don't want you looking at porn. He don't want you going to strip clubs. All that that all, that's bad too. But listen, he doesn't call heterosexual uh, sexual sin an abomination because it's natural as desiring food and water. It's the innate drive. He calls homosexuality a perversion because it is totally contrary to intelligent design. It does not line up with God's design nor his intended purpose. Therefore, it is a 100% complete perversion. So go back and look at the original. Can you give me just a few more moments? (laughs) Somebody said all night. I don't know about that. All right. Number three. We've got to look at the intent of marriage. The intent of marriage. Matthew 19, turn over here real quick. Notice what he says. Now, this passage deals with divorce, and I'll, I'll deal with that in the next couple of weeks sometime, but that's not the point. But I wanted to show you from here the importance of marriage and the intent of marriage. Matthew 19, 1 through 6, I'm getting ready to close. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished there, he went through the region, you know, he was... He was doing his thing and the Pharisees came out to test him and asked him a question about divorce. Verse 4 is where I wanted to get to. And he answered and he said to them have you not read he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become what? One flesh. So they are not no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I want to look at the intention of marriage. Marriage was meant to be one man, one woman, for life. Now, we know divorce happens. Some of you have been divorced. Both of my parents have been divorced. I have lots of stepbrothers and stepsisters, and I've had stepparents, and, and it happens. It's not the unforgivable sin at all. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But God's design for marriage His intent for marriage was for one man, one woman, to come together for life, produce offspring, and have family. It was God's idea of family. Now, that's why it's so important that biblical human sexuality is to be saved and reserved into the confines of marriage. Now, I didn't have time to get into this. I've heard the kids out. I want to be respectful because... We don't want you know, kids hanging from chandeliers because their parents aren't out there. But let me just tell you, Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs and he warns us about what happens when the fire gets out of the fireplace. Solomon deals with prostitution. He deals with sexual diseases. He deals with it in great description. Solomon even deals with Adultery, he said, you know what adultery will get you? Another, ma- uh, another woman's husband will be enraged and he'll kill you. I've seen that on the news a few times. So what are we saying? Sexuality, God's eyes, one man, one woman, married, committed, monogamous for life. Everything else outside of that is not a biblically endorsed expression. So, how do we conclude this? Can a person who loves Jesus struggle with these feelings? Sure they can. A person can love Jesus and struggle with anger. But that doesn't mean you're justified by acting on them. Pastor, what if a person argues that they were born that way? What if they argue that I've just always been that way? Well, scientifically, I, I don't think we have an argument that people were born that way. There have been a lot of studies, a lot of researches, things of that nature. There are birth defects. There are very rare things that do happen to people that may mess them up hormonally as, as children. But the spectrum of that is very, very minuscule. But when people say, what if a person, is, they truly feel like they're born that way? Here's what I would tell you. In John chapter 3... Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again. Everybody is born with sinful inclination. Everybody. We're born. David said, I was conceived in iniquity, shaped in sin. We were all born into a sinful world under the curse of Adam. You know what? When we come to Christ, the Bible says we must be born again. So, you know what that means? Here's my closing statement. Close your Bible, I'm finished. When we come to Christ and we surrender our lives to Him, that also must include surrendering our sexuality to Him. I want to stop with the statement I said at the beginning. If my opinion doesn't line up with God's Word, it's not God's Word that needs to change. It's my opinion. And Romans tells us Be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Don't buy the perversion that the enemy is trying to teach us that it's okay for little boys to to go through transition at young ages. They are chemically castrating little boys. By the time they're seven and eight years old, that's irreversible. I think it's child abuse. Demonic the spirit of the world and you know what I feel for our young people and our kids and our grandkids who are swimming upstream in this current because Hollywood and everyone else says it's okay keep doing it it's fun all your tv shows the main characters got some kind of weird sexual issue or whatever but you know what at the end of the day we base our standards upon the word of God Amen. Stand up with me. Let me pray for you tonight. If you know somebody struggling with that, you've got some scripture that you can study. But here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Love the person. That doesn't mean you have to affirm their lifestyle. You're hungry? I'll give you food. You need a ride? I'll give you a ride. But I'm I'm not going to say God's okay with that. Scripture doesn't say that we've got to hold a standard let's